Well, today we continue our uh, study of the book of Colossians, and we're going to look at the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. And uh, Paul talks about his ministry. So we've entitled this One Man's Ministry. And uh, I would like to read this passage to you this morning. And I'm going to read to you from the New Living Translation, so it may be worded a little differently than what you have in yours. But it's extremely clear in the New Living Translation. And sometimes a fresh view of it will uh, be refreshing for us. Paul said this, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body. For I am completing what remains of Christ's sufferings for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his message in all its fullness to you Gentiles. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to his own holy people. For it has pleased God to tell his people that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. For this is the secret. Christ lives in you. And this is your assurance that you will share in his glory. So everywhere we go, we tell everyone about Christ. We warn them and teach them with all the wisdom God has given us. For we want to present them perfect or mature in their relationship to Christ. I work very hard at this as I depend on Christ's mighty power that works within me. I want you to know how much I've agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other friends who have never known me personally. My goal is that they will be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have full confidence because they have complete understanding of God's secret plan which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The Apostle Paul is writing to people in a church that he has never known. This church was established and started uh, without his ever visiting the city. He was at Ephesus for about three years preaching the gospel People from uh, Colossae came down, were exposed to the gospel, accepted Christ, took the gospel back, and continued to spread it, and a church was established. Um, and last week, uh, Robin shared with you the supremacy of Jesus Christ as Paul proclaims it. One of the things that the false teachers who had come to Colossae were teaching the people is that there is secret knowledge that uh, you really, really need to have. And uh, the gospel of Christ and what's in the Bible is not sufficient. You need more than that. We have it, and let us share it with you. And so Paul, many of the things that he writes in the passage in the whole book of Colossians, he doesn't necessarily argue with people about it. He simply presents the supremacy of Jesus Christ and the truth 
of who he is and what he has provided for us as his followers. And so he talks about his ministry. And first of all, as we're going to see today, he talks about the fact that it's a ministry of sharing the good news, the gospel of Christ. We see this in verse uh, 23. He says, you must continue to believe this truth and stand in it firmly. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed by God to proclaim it. He proclaims the good news. And he warns those who believe it. And he says, stand firmly in the gospel. In other words, don't drift away. There's always a tendency for drift to happen in a spiritual life for each one of us. You don't have to do anything to drift. Uh, I have a brother-in-law for years in the summer worked as a fishing guide up in Alaska on the Glen Allen River. And up there they use something called a drift boat. And they paddle that boat out in the middle of the river and they drift. And they catch salmon as they drift. Um, it doesn't take any energy, really, to drift. You just go with the flow. And you know, the same is true in your life and my life spiritually. To drift away from our relationship with the Lord doesn't take any real energy on our part. Uh, it just kind of happens when we neglect Him. And we neglect our relationship with Him. And we let other things, the cares of this life or some false teaching comes along and we find one day, man, I just feel like I'm so far away from God. How did that happen? Well, it just happens. And we're going to see this week and next week what Paul says about how to counteract that in our lives. So he says, stand firmly. In the gospel, don't drift away. Don't let secular philosophy blow you around. I'll tell you, you don't have to go very far in this world to hear ideas and philosophies that will blow you away from the Lord. They're all over the place. And we've got to be careful as we live our lives in this world as believers, as followers of Christ, that... uh, that we don't let these things blow us away from our relationship with the Lord. And he says, don't drift away from the assurance that you received. He talks about uh, the riches of the glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. For this is the secret Christ lives in you, and this is your assurance that you will share in his glory. He talks about the fact in the previous verses that the good news has been preached all over the world. And then he says, I have been appointed by God to proclaim it. If you have a physical Bible in your hand, rather than a digital form of the Bible, 
you might take a moment to underline those words. I have been appointed by God to proclaim it. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. But Paul knew. That's, you know, what, what motivated him? What turned his crank? What got him up in the morning? What kept him going when he was stoned to death at Lystra and left for dead? Why didn't he just give up, pack up his duffel bag, and uh, head back to Tarsus? Why, why would he continue? Because he had been appointed by God to proclaim the good news, wherever God put him. A ministry of sharing the gospel is part of his ministry. But his ministry is not just in sharing the gospel. It's a ministry of suffering. He now begins to talk about the things that he's had to go through. And uh, verses 24 through 28, he says, I'm glad I suffer for you in my body, for I am completing what remains of Christ's sufferings for his body, the church. Suffering, why did he suffer? It says he rejoiced as he suffered. Why? Why would he rejoice? Why would he be glad? Why would he think this was a positive thing? Well, first of all, because he was suffering for Jesus. It's interesting, Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12, Jesus had said this to his disciples, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus said that his followers were going to suffer. On his account. For his sake. He said rejoice. Be glad. Be blessed. Because you're being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Acts 5.41, we find that his followers were persecuted. It says, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And the name means Jesus. Acts 9.16 For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Let me give you the background there for a moment. This is right after Saul of Tarsus is knocked down on the road to Damascus. And Jesus appears to him and speaks to him. He is temporarily blinded. He's taken into Damascus. And there the Lord speaks to a guy by the name of Ananias and says, I want you to go and visit this guy. 
By the way, his name is Saul of Tarsus. <laughs> that struck fear into the heart of Ananias right away because <clears throat> he had a reputation for persecuting the church. And then the Lord said to Ananias, For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And I think the Apostle Paul, before he ever left on his first missionary journey, had a word from the Lord, Paul, this isn't going to be easy. There are times when you're going to be persecuted. There are times when you're going to be run out of Dodge. There are times when people are going to throw rocks at you, trying to kill you. But you're going to do it for my name's sake. He had that in mind as he continued his ministry over the years. He had been appointed to do what? Proclaim the good news. And what was the personal cost for him? Basically, he gave his life for the sake of the gospel. I was reminded as I meditated on this week of the five missionaries who were killed in Ecuador back in the 1950s. <clears throat> One of the reasons why it's stayed in my mind all these years is I went to school with the son of Nate Saint, who was the missionary pilot uh, who died. Five missionaries were killed by the Aka Indians in Ecuador. It was a terrible thing. I can remember when the news of that hit us. They had gone in and they had dropped gifts and all these things to this, this you know, primitive tribe, establishing relationships with them. And somehow there was a misunderstanding. They, they landed on the beach along the river and some of the Indians came in and killed all five of those missionaries. Some of the wives of those men later went in and reached that tribe for Jesus Christ. Some of their children played with the children of the men who had killed their husbands. Folks, that's love that sacrifices. Out of that death of those five men, God raised up a modern missionary movement. And God used their deaths as a means of motivating many young men and women to go with the gospel around the world. Like the Apostle Paul, those people suffered the ultimate so they could tell the story of Jesus and his love for them. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, the Apostle Paul writes from prison and says this, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That was his prayer. Oh, that I might know him 
and even share in his sufferings. God had not only called the Apostle Paul to proclaim the good news, but to suffer for Jesus' sake. And he rejoiced in his suffering because he suffered for Jesus. He also rejoiced because he was suffering for the sake of the Gentiles. It was through the Apostle Paul that the Gentiles began to hear the message. He went to Ephesus and started out there by going to the uh, Jewish gatherings, presenting the gospel. And then it spread to the Gentiles. And you have people coming down from Colossae who are Gentiles who hear the good news that the gospel is for them as well. It's not just for Jewish people. It's for non-Jews as well. And they believed, and they took the good news back to Colossae. The church was established. And so he considers the fact that he, even as he has suffered, it has been for the Gentiles and for their sake. And the Colossian believers were mainly non-Jews. Verses 25 and 27. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his message in all its fullness to you Gentiles. For it has been pleased God to tell his people that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. The message of Jesus the Messiah is not just for the Jewish nation. It is for everyone The Apostle Paul has been called the Apostle to the Gentiles because we find that God specifically called him to take the good news to the Gentiles. Now, when he went to a city, if, if, if there was a synagogue there, he would start there because these people had a background in understanding the Old Testament Scriptures. But he always transitioned of taking the gospel to the non-Jews as well. And most of the churches that were established through his ministry were primarily Gentiles. And the churches were a mixture of Jews and Gentiles together in Jesus Christ. He writes about this in Ephesians. They were together as brothers and sisters in Christ but it seems like the majority of them were Gentiles. Sometimes he went to a place and he presented the good news to Jewish people and they rejected Christ. And so he just moved on to the Gentiles. He rejoiced in his suffering because he was suffering for Jesus. He was suffering for the Gentiles. And then we would say also, because he mentions it in the text, he was suffering for the church. Verse 25. He served the body of Christ, the church, by presenting the good news to the Gentiles. His suffering right now, he's in prison. But he sees his suffering in prison, and his imprisonment was a powerful way to tell the good news to the Gentiles in Rome. He saw it as another opportunity. So he rejoiced as he suffered. 
And then he embraced his responsibility, verses 25 and 26. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his message in all its fullness to you Gentiles. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to his own holy people. To present the mystery, as he calls it in some translations. What is the mystery that was hidden in the past? Christ in you, specifically in the context, Christ in you Gentiles. That's the mystery. God didn't have a whole lot of dealing with the Gentiles in the Old Testament. We're told in the scriptures that when Christ died, he died not just for the sins of the Jewish nation. He died for the sins of what? The whole world. And that included the Gentiles. And this whole truth of Christ in you is your assurance that you will share one day in his glory when he returns. How do you live your life as a Christian with assurance for uh, seeing the Lord one day and sharing in his glory? It's the fact that Christ is in you now. That's not a future thing. Remember, we just finished a series. What was it called? Living the life. And what was the point, the major point? The point was you live the life by the fact that Christ lives in you and wants to live his life through you. He's the vine. You're the branches. Without him, you can do nothing. And we only bear fruit in our lives as believers as we allow him to live in us and through us. And he changes us from the inside out. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is not about conformity. It's about transformation. It's about allowing God to change us from the inside out until we reflect his character to the world. As we reflect his character to the world, then God gives us opportunity to give people the words of the gospel. We'll talk about that in a moment. So, he rejoiced as he suffered, and he embraced his responsibility. And third, he talks about striving for the church. A ministry of striving for the church. Listen to these words, beginning with verse 28. So everywhere I go, I tell everyone about Christ. We warn them and teach them with all wisdom God has given us. For we want to present them to God perfect. That word perfect there means mature. In their relationship to Christ. I work very hard at this as I depend on Christ's mighty power that works in me. I want you to know how much I've agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea. And for many other friends who have never known me personally, my goal 
is that they will be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have full confidence because they have complete understanding of God's secret plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The word striving, as it appears in some translation, means to agonize, to exert strenuous effort on behalf of the church. Life was not easy for the apostle. He didn't stay at the Hyatt Regency, then on weekends go down and pitch his tent among the Gentiles. He lived in that tent 24-7. He was a camper for Jesus his whole life. As far as we know, he never had a home, unless you want to call prison a home. Now, I want you to notice something. As he strives and extends this, expends this strenuous effort, note the source of the energy and the strength. Where does it come from? He says it comes from the Lord. He says, I depend on Christ's mighty power working in me. And I think this whole idea implies that there's conflict. As he went around the world and presented the gospel, there was conflict. Now, most people I know in ministry don't like conflict. But sometimes it's there. Sometimes it kind of sneaks up on you and blindsides you. And if you're going to really serve the Lord, there will be conflict because you will be opposed. And you'll be opposed by Satan. We are locked in a battle for the souls of men and women. Satan and his forces oppose our attempts to present the good news. We are told in Scripture that he uses fear to keep us from presenting the good news. Why? Because the gospel, the good news, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So the main work of Satan today is to keep believers from sharing the good news with people who need it. And we are told by Peter that be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks, in, walks around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Satan can't harm us as believers, but he can sure roar. And he can try to intimidate us. And that's one of the things that the world is trying to do, is silence the church today. And so he uses fear. And he also uses our personal insecurities and our own personal senses of inadequacy. Sometimes we just don't feel that we, uh, that we know enough or we can uh, answer everybody's questions. 
What I'd like to say to you is this. We as a church have adopted the Oikos principle of trying to reach our world. That means people in our relational world, we pray for them. We pray for opportunities to demonstrate the good news of Jesus to them, how it changes our lives, and then to one day share the words of the gospel with them. They will never know, come, know the Lord unless we share the words with them. So, knowing that, we have also offered you classes on how to present the words. We have tried to equip you and train you for that. And you say, well, I've never had that. Well, it's because you haven't been here at 930. I'll move right along. When I was in college, I had spent a lot of years in Christian schools as an elementary kid in particular, where we learned a lot of verses, memory verses. We memorized scripture after scripture after scripture, week after week after week. You could poke me, I could quote you a verse. But I worked at a gas station in El Cerrito, California, while I was going to college. And I worked there with another guy who was not a believer. And so... After we'd established a relationship over the weeks, one day he began to ask questions. And I began to, to share with him the gospel. And God gave me verse after verse after verse after verse that he brought to my mind that I was able to quote to this guy. I didn't try to argue with him. I just quoted scripture. I came away from that encounter having experienced something I'd never experienced before. And that was knowing that if I would simply share the gospel with somebody, God would enable me to do it. My own inadequacies, my own insecurities, God would just wipe those away, and he would use me if I was usable and if I was available. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you don't have a clue. It's probably because you've never shared the gospel with anybody. But if you will, you will see what God will do in your life. Look at Paul's instruction. It involved three things. I'll cover this quickly. Preaching, telling them about Jesus, warning that he is the only way, You've got to believe and teaching, which means, I believe, connecting the work of Christ to the Old Testament. And he says, he did it with all wisdom. And then we look at his intent. Why did he do it? His intention was to present everyone mature in Christ. A number of years ago, we adopted a vision statement of what we believe God was leading us to do as a church. We called it our 2012 vision statement. And we looked back in 2012 and took a look at it and said, well, what have we accomplished that we had intended to accomplish and what haven't we? 
And there were a lot of things that we had accomplished because we prayed about it and set those out as goals for our church. If we had never done that, we never would have accomplished them. I can guarantee you that. And one of the things we put at the bottom of that and then at the top of the latest vision statement, which we put together recently, which Neil presented to you in this last year when he spoke, says this. The following goals will direct us as we seek to bring glory to God by presenting Jesus Christ with as many maturing disciples as possible when he returns. What was the apostles' intent? To present everyone they came in contact with as being mature in Christ. He wasn't just after converts. His purpose was that they would be maturing disciples when Jesus returned. Then I see something else. I see Paul's intensity. He says, I also labor according to his energy that works in me mightily. So I labor struggling with all his energy which so powerfully works in me. There was intensity. I get the idea Paul was an intense person. And part of that intensity is what kept him going. I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. So very quickly this morning, I want to ask you some questions. Number one, are you sharing the good news? When's the last time you shared the gospel with somebody who doesn't know the Lord? Think about it. The Apostle Paul said, I have been appointed by God for this purpose. And I have news for you. If you're a Christian, so have you. Say, huh? I've been appointed by God? Yeah. Jesus said, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go and proclaim the gospel. Make disciples of all the nations. It's not just for pastors. It's not just for missionaries. We are here for a purpose. What is your attitude when somebody ridicules you for sharing the good news of Jesus? Now, they're not going to put you in jail. They're not going to throw rocks at you and leave you for dead like they did the Apostle Paul. They might make fun of you. Big deal. Big deal. You know, there are people like the Apostle Paul who was there when they threw rocks at a follower of Jesus by the name of Stephen, and they killed him in Jerusalem. The Apostle Paul was a young man at that time. He was not a believer. He was not a follower of Christ. It says that he held the coats of the people, 
so they could throw rocks better and harder. He was there. He witnessed it. He became a persecutor of the church. He didn't just ridicule people who were followers of Jesus. He went and tried to throw them all in prison. He saw Christianity as a threat to Judaism and wanted to stamp it out before it got going anymore. One day God used all of those things in his life. And Jesus got a hold of him on the road to Damascus and totally transformed and changed him. And there are people in your life who you may have presented the good news to who think it's nonsense. They may think you are just some kooky person to be a follower of Jesus. Don't let that stop you. Keep on being a kooky person, will you? Because God will use that in their lives one day to get a hold of them. Don't give up. The third question. Why has God put you here on earth? Just to burn up oxygen and consume and die? No. He put you here to be what I call a spiritual farmer. To plant the seed of the gospel in people's lives. To water and cultivate the gospel through relationships. And then see what God does in their lives. Some of you in the past year have seen people in your relational world come to faith in Jesus Christ. It didn't happen overnight. It took time. And some of you who are faithfully planting the gospel in people's lives and watering and cultivating it, don't give up. Keep up the work. That's why God leaves us here. To be spiritual farmers. You say, but pastor, it's hard work. Yeah, it is. God will give us the energy we need to do the job he has given us to do. It was his energy that worked mightily in the Apostle Paul. The Apostle experienced that power in his life. And you will too if you will be faithful in sharing the gospel with somebody. You will find that God's power will work in you and through you as you share the good news. And you will come away and say, Whoa! Wow! Where did that come from? It came from Jesus. He is in you. He wants to work through you. That's why he leaves you here. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said, But you will receive power, ability, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and Bellevue, and Issaquah, and Renton, and Redmond, and Seattle, and to the end of the earth. The problem today is not that we don't have the power and the ability to share the good news. The power is that we do not have the will to do it.
And I'm not saying that God has called us to all be a Billy Graham, to rent a stadium and develop a big organization and uh, invite people to come. No, it's one-on-one, one relationship at a time. One man's ministry 2,000 years ago, meaning the Apostle Paul, has now developed into a ministry for men and women and boys and girls around the world. I don't care whether you call it Sunday school, whether you call it Awana, no matter what you call it, it is that work of planting the seed of the gospel, watering and cultivating it, and being used of God to be a part of the harvest. He's called you and appointed you to that ministry just as much as he did the Apostle Paul. Lord, we pray that you, who have reminded us of our divine appointment, will look for opportunities this week to talk to people about Jesus. Lord, I believe we have opportunities every day that just pass us by because we're not looking for them. Lord, don't let Satan intimidate us. Don't let the world system intimidate us. We are serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.